Good morning, my friends. I'm glad that you are in this place today. I hope you're ready for something that uh, I believe God has that is extraordinarily special for me and you in this place today. Um, I will tell you, it is not an easy thing to talk about what you and I honestly have the privilege to talk about through and by the power of God's Word this morning. So whether you are with me in this room or whether you have gathered with us online today, I just want to say I'm so glad you're here and I hope that your prayer is simply this. Father, that you would speak to my life and you would help me to hear and to respond to what you need to do in me this day. Whatever it takes. I want you to think about it like this. The song that you just sang got my attention too. It's still got my attention because we are very, very, very live right now. Very loud. Are we closer now? Oh, we're getting warmer right there. There we go. There we go. So we warn you all the time. Be careful what you sing. Be careful what you pray. And in my mind and in my heart, you just sang and you just prayed some words that sounded just like this. You said, I will make room for you. That means the Lord Jesus Christ. I will, I will make place for, I will provide a path for. I will make room for you, Lord Jesus, to do whatever you want to do in me. And I'm just asking you this question because I struggle with this. It's easy to sing. But to actually do that, to make room, Lord, for whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do in my life. Do I actually have room for that in my life? Because I'm just wondering if there could be a little more that he might ask of us that we are holding back from right now. I think about over the last few months, there's been a war going on in Europe. And I just wonder if there's something. I mean, some of us made a commitment to pray between 7 and 8 a.m. every single day for the people of Ukraine. Specifically for salvation to happen. Specifically for the Christians who are, are, are trying to not just survive but to thrive. Even as they've been run out of the country, so many of them. I think about over the last three weeks... I don't even want to turn the news on because somebody else has gone crazy and killed someone or many. No justification, no rightness in it, wrongness, evil in it. Do we see it and just go on past it like, huh, wasn't here? Or does it bother us to the core? That we would pray and say, God, change the lives of the people in this nutty country that we live in. Even around us right here. Changes that need to happen. And God, it may need to start with me. And if it does, start right here, please. Because to be able to say, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to do in me. There's a trust factor in that. That's what we're going to be talking about today for just a couple of minutes. Three trust factors that come from, or that Jesus really points out to us that are very necessary in Matthew chapter 24. I know we've been here for three or four weeks now, and we've got at least another week in Matthew 24. And it's Jesus giving the prophecy of the end time. So today is 
the trust factor for living with the end in sight. It's what is required of us to trust the Lord with the end in sight. Trust is a huge deal. Uh, I struggle to this day driving in Madison and Athens and Huntsville because I don't trust people. I mean, I thought I was a bad driver. And then I met some of you. Well, no, not necessarily you, but people in our community. But you know what I'm saying? I don't trust people. I don't know if they're going to stop at that red light or run right on through it here in Madison. I don't know if if I'm out on the interstate, if they're actually going to use the blinker before they try to take my front bumper off. I don't trust people like that. I think about other things that we struggle with. Most of us at some time have struggled with trust in relationships. Sometimes for good reason. Sometimes just because we don't trust. Reason or no reason. We usually have a difficult time trusting like a company or individuals that are coming to do or going to do a repair on our car or doing, going to do a, a repair on our house. And we're like, well, are they going to be fair? Can I trust them to do it right? Am I going to have more problems? Is it going to cost me more money? Because we don't trust people. We want to trust our doctors. But a lot of times we hear things, they tell us things, they show us things, and then we leave and we're like, um, maybe... Should I get a second opinion? You know why? Because we don't trust. And for good reason, so many times we don't trust. That seems to always be the question. The truth is this. People will fail us. Matter of fact, most people will fail us. The people that are closest to us will fail us. The people that we love the most will fail us. Not all of them, but pretty much most. But according to God's word, according to experience, according to, for me, three and a half decades of following Jesus, there is one that we can't trust. Not because I said so, because he said so. And he has proven it over and over again. Our God, he is faithful. Our God, he is trustworthy. He can be trusted 100% of the time. He works in your life and in my life. He works in our lives and he desires nothing but the best for his children. Nothing. We can trust that his desire is that all would repent and come to trust him by faith. That is his desire for all mankind. And as the end gets closer, and as these strange things continue to happen in the world, we sense that that end is getting even closer. I believe that trusting God today is even a bigger deal than it's ever been in all of our lives. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 32. He says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, you know his return is very near. And then he says one more phrase, right at the door. So it's that close when you see all these things. 
I don't know about you, but I, I had a little chance to be out on my dad's farm for a little bit yesterday, and there's a lot that's still blooming and growing and beginning to start. And uh, I love new life in spring. Uh, the, the tiny little light green leaves that start showing up on a plant somehow out of a woody stem and they uncurl and unroll and then they start changing colors and reaching for the sun and they, they keep growing. And it is a sure sign that what? Not only is spring here, but summer is right at the door. It's really, really close. And when Jesus says in the same way, when you see these things, he says, what are these things that we're supposed to be looking? Well, that's what Jesus has told us through all of Matthew chapter 24. It's actually what he gave us back in the book of Daniel. Actually, it's what he gave us on future in the book of the Revelation. What are all these things? Well, if you just walk back in this chapter, you'll see a lot of them. He says that there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines. And he says there'll be false teachers. And he says there will be people who are claiming to be the Messiah. And he says, don't believe that. It's not true. Because I'm coming in a whole different way that doesn't look anything like somebody showing up somewhere. Matter of fact, last week he said that I'm going to end up showing up in the sky on a cloud. And the sun's going to lighten. Matter of fact, you won't see the sun. Matter of fact, you won't even see the reflection in the moon. Matter of fact, he says the earth will be shaken. And it'll be like lightning from the east and the east to the west. That it'll come that quickly. You won't miss it. He says these things will happen. It'll be a supernatural event in nature. And he also says this. He's, notice he says it's not some of these things. It's all of these things. Even though we may see little bitty birth pangs here, we're seeing little bitty birth pangs. The big hasn't come yet. So we prepare now. We get our hearts ready now. So here's the deal. We have to, and this is number one on your outline. We have to trust God's timing. As simple of a phrase as that is, it's one of the most difficult things I believe in this life for us to live out. Maybe you aren't impatient with the Lord like I am. But I think if you're honest with yourself, we don't tend to trust God's timing very often. Sometimes it works out just like we were planning on, and even better. But usually his timing is very different from our timing. We tend to not trust God's timing for relationships. So we rush things. And when we rush things, what do we often do? We mess things up. We don't trust God's timing for jobs. And so we rush things. And so what do we tend to do? mess them up we don't trust god's time for healing and so we go into this crazy funk because we can't figure it out because it's not working the way that we thought it would because we prayed this and then it didn't happen we prayed we want to know when and we want to know when it's going to happen right now that's why we're called the microwave society we don't want to wait for it to sit on the grill and get just right all night long as it's getting smoked. We want to put it in the microwave and we want it ready for us now, but we want it to taste like it did after it was cooked for seven or eight hours all night long. That's the way we want to live. Now, if you look back uh, to verse 3 in this chapter, you'll remember, or at least you'll discover if you haven't been there, that the first question that the disciples uh, 
took to Jesus as he took them up on the Mount of Olives was this question. Lord, when will this happen? When's your timing on this? And he begins to explain, this is what it's going to look like, but this is just the first stuff. And then at some point it's going to change and it's going to look like this. This is what we know. And this is uncomfortable for me and I think it's uncomfortable for you as well. We don't know when exactly Jesus will return. But we do know it will happen. Which makes us uncomfortable. Because we want to know when can we put it in our daytime or can we put it on our Google Calendar so we can be ready for it when it comes. That's what we want to do. And Jesus clearly tells us that we will see the signs that tell us that he is, and he said it right here, right at the door. You will see those signs. Now, why are we learning this right here when this could be something that just happens in the Middle East as Jews are becoming Christians? Because we're still here to help prepare the way for the future. Christ has already laid the path. We get to be a part of it. I'm not real confident in that. I think most of us will be well gone. But for the future, we continue to pass this on. We realize he's right at the door. Here's what he's telling us. Here's what he's telling us, I think, that applies to us right here, right now, today. Don't worry. Stop worrying about this. Just know that this is the way that it's going to happen. Be aware of it. Have it in your mind. Have it in your heart. Know this is the truth from my word. And then by faith in him and what Jesus has already taught us, we keep on living and we don't live in fear no matter how bad it gets here on this earth. That is what will allow us to watch the news, walk away from the news, be wiser because of it, and then live for Christ as we continue to walk the path that he's called us to so that we can let him do whatever he wants to do in our lives. That's the way it works. So don't worry. And the second one I think that I see in here that seems so, so clear. Prepare. Be ready. Prepare first of all your heart with the Lord Jesus Christ. Prepare also everyone around you that you possibly can. Don't hold back the greatest, greatest secret that shouldn't be a secret. The truth of what Christ can do in anyone's life. Do prepare. Do be ready. I think back towards the fruit tree, the fig tree that Jesus talks about, that bloom that happens every year. We know it's spring, we know summer's coming, and then Jesus says, when you see all these things, you will know that it's getting close, he's at the door. And again, the key is that that, that means the end is getting close. And I think the key for us with all that we're seeing today is not that the end is right here, but it's a reminder that the end is truly getting closer now is getting closer another thousand years or is getting closer another few days see that's what we can't know but he explains that even further for us here but when all these things have taken place not a few not a part but all of these things have taken place and then in verse 34 jesus says it like this matthew 24 and verse 34 i tell you the truth this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And there's two different things that are spoken in these two verses, and they're both important. I want us to hang on to these for just a second. So what is this generation? 
because he's talking to the disciples around him. And the first thing is just a, a, a cursor reading of that says this. This generation will not pass away until these things have happened. Well, the disciples are sitting there thinking, this gen- oh, this generation, us, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. When they died within most of them, 20 or 30 years of this, even less for some. The thought had to go through their mind. Well, I thought it was this generation. And they lived like it was this generation because I believe Jesus wants us to live like it were this generation. Are you hearing me? We're not living like it's something that didn't happen that was supposed to. We're living like it's something that's going to happen that's going to. Now, what is this generation? Well, from a historical approach, this is very evident. It did not happen with the generation of the disciples. Um, they would see a, many of them would see a precursor to this event in AD 70 as the temple was destroyed. Um, as the abomination of desolation, a, a, a picture of that, of the temple being destroyed. But it, it didn't all take place at that time. Do you see what I'm saying? It was a picture of what was to come. And here's the other side of this. Jesus hasn't, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so they all haven't happened. Do you hear me? It hasn't all happened yet. Now, when you study this passage in full and you look at it in context of the book of Daniel and you look at it in the context of the prophecy of the revelation, the generation Jesus is talking about, to me, clearly appears to be the generation that will see all of these prophecies fulfilled. And he shared this with them uh, so that we would know what is being fulfilled and when that end would come and when he would be at the door. And then that generation will pass. The generation in context of exactly what he's talking about is what I see there. In verse 35, Jesus says this, and we're going to hang out here for a second because we mess up here as humans. We've messed up here as Christians. We've messed up here as people of the United States and people of this world. Verse 35 says, heaven and earth will disappear. This place, this rock that we're living on will disappear, but God's word will, and he says it so clearly, and you can't use another word for it, it's the only one that fits, will never disappear. Will not disappear. It will never disappear. Disappear means to pass away, to cease to exist, to cease to live anymore. Heaven and earth will cease to exist as we know it. Biblically, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, to me, that kind of goes back to shouting days because I'm looking forward to that because I think there's some great places on earth right now. I look forward to heaven in incredible ways and in just the way it's been described in the Word. But when heaven and earth, as we know it, and I'm talking about the heavens, not, not spiritual heaven, but the heavens. But what we see here will, will disappear, but there will be new heavens and new earth. That's going to be... Wow. But God's word, his truth, Jesus said, my words will never go away or die or lose their validity or their power because it is eternal. Now, why does that matter to us so much? Why is that such a big deal? Why do we have 66 books of the Bible and we cling to every word of every one and we claim that all are, are true and we believe it all is the very word of God. Why is, that, why is that so imperative? It is imperative 
that we hang on to this truth when we are seeing things pointing to the end so that we can depend on what Jesus is telling us. It will help us. It will encourage us. It will keep our hearts and our minds in the game for the Lord so that we can do whatever he wants us to. Otherwise, we're distracted and we're, we're upset and we're anxious and we're crying and we're, we can't deal with this life. Even as it continues to get crazier and crazier on this rock that we live on. I see another vital truth for us to cling to as I look in verse 35. Sadly, I'm afraid that most of us don't realize that we are, or what we are doing with his word that he has given us. In the very best case scenario, I think that so many are disrespecting the very word of God, not recognizing the truth and the power that is held within it. I don't think we realize what we're doing to it. I think it's important that we take note that we as a people, and some in so many greater ways than we are, we're, if you will, and, and I don't know if you grew up like I did, but we'd go to horse shows and stuff, and, and uh, Dad would always know somehow that we might get bored there, so he would bring us what was called a whittling stick and a good sharp knife, and we'd sit there and whittle little pieces of cedar off for hours and hours and hours at a time, and then we'd try to make something out of it. But I tell you what, this is what we're doing with God's Word. In a sense, we're whittling away at what he's given us. The truth of these 66 books that he's given us, all these pages, all these writings that he has given us, this inspired word, we're whittling away. And here's what I mean by that. Theologians in the New International Version, and if you've got one, I encourage you, especially if it's a new one, look out, okay? Uh, the New International Version, the 2011 Version, decided to remove all the male and female pronouns from the English Version known as the New International Version in 2011. If it's older than that, they didn't do that. In the newer ones, that has happened. Some of us, and this is a broad spectrum thing, it's all over the United States and all over the world now, we downplay that God made us male and female. Some have decided that they know the value of life better than the giver of life who happens to be our creator and our God he also holds the keys to life and death he does the parts of the word that make us feel uncomfortable or that don't line up with what we feel we excuse them or we call them irrelevant calling it a new way of being awakened in our society. And I'm just saying, this is the word of God that we are doing this to. And by doing this, we are whittling away the very truth of God. And I've seen this illustration before, and I can't even bring myself to even imagine doing it, where a pastor got in front of his church and he said, you don't believe this? And he goes to that passage and he rips out that page and he throws it away. Where does it stop? That we take away the very word that God has given us. The truth is this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 21, the Apostle Peter says this, as the Scriptures say, People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field, and the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word, amen, and that word is good news. It is the good news that is preached to you. 
cling to that. And the truth that comes from that in us today is that there is an end that is coming. So we have to be ready because Jesus has told us and we can 100% depend on it. So long as we don't start taking stuff out of what God has given us that is so clear. Peter is quoting Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. I find it so awesome that these apostles know their Old Testament. Because that's what they had. They didn't have the book of Peter. They didn't have the book of Matthew, but they did have the Old Testament. And here's what he quoted. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the God, the word of our God stands forever. He didn't make that up. He read it. It had been applied to his heart. So Jesus is teaching us this. The word of God teaches us that he is going to return to earth. I'm excited about that part. For me, I'm excited. For a lot of people, I'm not excited about it because it's bad news. We'll talk about that next week. But it's real stuff. It teaches us that this is fact and that it will not change. Isn't that good news? It's fact. It does not change. It does not wither. It does not go away. It is fact. And we can trust God's timing because we know what he says will happen. Because it always has. And we can trust what's going forward. And so here's what I see in this. It's so simple. So we've said that you've got to trust his timing. But also, number two, you've got to trust his word. And it's real hard to trust something that you aren't connected with. It's real hard to trust something that you don't dig into. It's real hard to trust something that you look at for 30 minutes on a Sunday when you come in here and somebody else teaches you. It's real hard to trust that when you hadn't been in it all week long. God's word is eternal. God's word is unchanging. God has given us also, and this is a struggle for me, he's given us a free will. There's parts of me that doesn't need a free will, especially when it comes to his word. I don't need a free will, but we take a free will there. So technically, because of the free will he's given us, we can take and we can make the changes to the word of God that we want to. The problem is, when we make the changes and we make the adjustments that we want to, suddenly it's not his word anymore. It's our word at that point. Or it's at least what we're comfortable with. And how we believe what we believe actually changes something about his word. Not from his perspective, but from ours. And the truth is this. There are truths in this word that I don't get 100%. There are things that I wrestle with in this word, but I will tell you, it does not make them any less truth just because I might struggle with them. You may struggle with the truth, and in our free will, we may say that, well, I'll just ignore that one. Or you may struggle with a lot of the word. When we do that, we open a slippery slope with no foundation when we start whittling away, editing, cutting and pasting in God's Word, taking out the things that we're not comfortable with and adding in a little bit softer so we can feel good about it. I think about it like this. We take things from God's Word that we don't like and we alter it to become something we want to hear. And I'm just telling you that is not okay. It will never be okay. His Word 
is unchanging. We essentially make it our word, but it is his word. And I have to keep going back to that myself. It's not mine, it's his. It's his word and he's given it to me as it is. And I always take it like that. No matter what we feel, no matter what we want to believe, God's word is truth. God's truth is eternal. We live our lives, but he says that our lives are but a vapor. In December of 1874, Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, said this. This was almost 150 years ago this was said. But I think this needs to be screamed from the mountaintops by believers in America. Here's what it says. He said, now, oh, by the way, this is on a Sunday night message. So this wasn't even all the folks on Sunday morning. This is on a Sunday night message that he preached back in 1874. Now, as he is thus true to his secret purposes and his and true to his promises i may add that he is true to all his published word he is true to all the word he has given us which he has made known to us in holy scripture this book having in it testimonies from god is not a book from yesterday nor shall it be merely a book for today but for all time it stands and it must stand firm forever. Did the law condemn sin? He says it still does. It still condemns it. Did the gospel provide pardon almost two millennia ago? It still does. Is there a promise that believers shall be saved? They are still saved by the power of the word of God, by the gospel that is given to us. And is there a declaration that unbelievers shall be damned? There must be, for that word can never alter. Just think about that. I think about it in an unair conditioned building with typically, yes, less people than you would see on a Sunday morning, and they're hearing this powerful word about the word of God. John 17, the apostle John said this in verse 17. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So may it become part of who we are. So one more trust factor for us that Jesus says. In Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So we trust his time and we trust his word and we trust his ways. His timing, His word, His ways. We trust them like that. My mind goes when I read this immediately, but why doesn't Jesus know this? Why was Jesus kept out of the loop on this? I don't, I, I don't get that. I trust my Father, and I trust that Jesus is okay with it. But how does He not know? Why does He not know? Here's the deal with our Heavenly Father. He makes this so clear in the Word. We have to read this to know this. The way God works, the way He reveals, who He reveals things to, and who He chooses not to, these things require faith, and we must trust Him in these things. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts like 
My thoughts are, I'm sorry, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's the good news. Our Heavenly Father has not forgotten about us. He is very much in tune. He has not lost his way. He has, uh, we, don't, we don't have to completely understand the way that he does things in order to trust him 100% because he has proven himself. He did it through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you have trusted that by grace, by his grace through faith, then you can experience him. Or maybe you already have experienced him. If you have, you need to learn to trust him this way. If you haven't, this is the first step in trusting him that way. And you can 100% trust him with the events of our lives or the unbelievable things that will to come, like his return, like the end. So what needs to change in me this week? What needs to change in you this week? How do we need to apply this this week? Just three questions for you. I'm not leaving with anything concrete. I'm leaving with spiritual things that the Holy Spirit has to do in your life this week because I can't do this. You have to do this. What place in my life am I refusing to trust God's timing on? And there might be more than one. But just be honest with Him because He can take it. Lord, I don't trust you with, with this timing on this. Help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. You see where that goes? The second one is this. What places in God's word have I rewritten for my good pleasure or to make me comfortable? What have, what have, I, what have I whittled off or what have, what have I added in? Because if I have, By the very stake of it, it's an abomination to God when we change his word or take something away from it. The end of the revelation says that not one dot nor tittle should be affected. If you're not familiar with that, in the Hebrew, that was the way you could form your letters. It was a, a little mark, a little period, or a little line, or a little T that was on the outside of it that completely changed what it meant. And he says, not one, not one dot, not one tittle of this shall be changed. What places in God's word have I rewritten? And the last thing, do I actually trust God's ways? Those ways that are not my, my, my ways, those ways that are not, that are higher than my ways, those ways that, that cause me confusion, that cause me fear, that cause me to, to be anxious, that cause me to struggle. Well, I'd really let you do whatever you want to. I want you to stand across this room, if you will. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up right now. And it is our responsibility to respond to the Holy Spirit in this moment. If you've never trusted Christ, Jesus said it like this. He said, repent. And he said, believe. Repent of your sins, the things that you know that break the very heart of God. If you need to go back to the Ten Commandments to learn what those might be, or just start there, you can start there. But if, you, if, if there's one that's messed up, then you've messed up. And here's the reality. There are a couple of hundred people in this facility right now, and the reality is all of us have broken one of those. All of us have, have broken and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says this. Repent, but believe. Believe what I did for you.
believe that I came as a child, fully man, fully God. And in that, I would eventually give up my life through death on a cross. I did that for you. I would be nailed to a cross there where I would die. On the third day, I would be resurrected. On the third day, I would come back to life. 500 people would see me. And at that day, lives were changed. And every day since that day, lives have been changed by the power of a holy God. And the question is, do we trust God like that? And if you haven't, he doesn't just say, say a prayer. He says, put your faith in me. Sometimes we start that with a prayer and that's fine. But it's faith in Christ. If you need to get something right with the Lord, if you've, if you've rewritten something, if you're not trusting his ways or his timing, I hope you'll find yourself on your face before the Lord and change that trust factor today. If you've never trusted Christ, I pray that this is that moment. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, this is not a game. It matters too much because while it appears to us the end may be in sight, we know by your word that the end is coming. Help us to trust you fully with everything we've got. Give us a boldness if we need to step away from where we're standing right now and come and talk and pray, maybe just to you, maybe just get on our face, maybe go deal with somebody in this room that we need to. You help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not wait. Listen to
So let's go right back to where we started. So I can do whatever you want to. You change this so that I will do whatever you want to do in my life. Your invitation for Christ is open so long as you have breath in this life. And I'm just telling you, it's not a fear factor, it's a faith factor. We are not guaranteed one more breath. Get it right today with Jesus, please. If you need to talk to Drew, if you need to talk to me, if you need to talk to one of your friends, I think we got kids getting baptized like for the next weeks and weeks coming up. And then we got VBS coming up on top of that. Have all of us adults truly got it together? That's between you and Jesus, but you make sure. Folks, have a great day. Get it right with Jesus. God bless you.